Church History, Bohemia, Lights and Shadows of the Reformation. London, G. Morrish, 20, Paternoster Square, before 1915. Republished by Irving Risch, host of Down to Earth but Heavenly Minded podcast. Huss and the Council of Constance. Huss continued at his blessed and happy work of preaching the gospel when he had formal information that a general council was to be held at Constance, at which he would be required to be present. And his case would be considered. Sigismund, brother of King Wenceslaus, was emperor, and he requested the king to send Huss to Constance, and promised to give him a safe conduct, enjoining upon all, in the name of the emperor, not to molest him. Huss required no driving, he was anxious to defend himself from the charge of heresy, and to give an account of his faith in presence of the representatives of all Western Christendom, and to testify against the corruptions of the church. He wrote to the emperor, saying, that, under the safe conduct of your protection I shall, with the permission of the highest, appear at the next council at Constance. In the meantime he returned to Prague. Many of his friends were filled with fear as to his safety, but nothing could shake his resolution to appear at Constance. He committed his cause to God. If my death, said he, can glorify his name, then may he hasten it, and give me grace to endure with good courage whatever evil may befall me. But if it is better for me that I should return to you, then let us beseech God for this, that I may come back to you from the council without wrong, that is, without detriment to his truth. So that we may from thenceforth be able to come to a purer knowledge of it, to destroy the doctrines of Antichrist, and leave behind us a good example for our brethren. On the 11th of October, 1414. Huss left Prague, accompanied by two knights, Wenzel of Duber and John of Klum. Great interest was taken in his journey, and in some places large bodies flocked to see the intrepid man. At all places he was ready to give a reason of the hope that was in him, and make known what he had learned from Scripture. On November 3rd he entered Constance, and announced his arrival to the Pope. For four weeks he was left to himself, but his personal enemies arriving, pallets among them, they bestirred themselves to influence others against him. On November 28th Huss was at his lodging in company with his friend the Knight of Tomb, when visitors were announced, these proved to be the bishops of Augsburg and Trent with two others. They told Huss that he was going to have the hearing he desired, and they had come to fetch him to the Pope's palace. Huss protested, it was in the council he desired to be heard. The Knight of Tomb also protested, but they were assured that there was no bad intention. So they went, on the lower floor he was met by the mistress of the house, who took leave of Huss in tears. He gave her his blessing. He was confronted with some of his enemies, who were now rejoiced, and said plainly, Now we have you, nor shall you escape till you have paid the uttermost farthing. Huss was a prisoner. Indeed soldiers had been placed in the adjacent streets as a provision against any commotion or resistance. Towards evening, it was intimated to Clume that he might retire to his lodging, Huss must remain. The knight now saw the trap that had been laid for them, and was filled with indignation. He hastened off to the Pope and reproached him with treachery. The Pope declared it was not his doing, but that of the Cardinals. This might be true, for he himself, being one of three Popes, was at the mercy of the Cardinals. The same night Huss was removed, and after eight days he was confined in a narrow dungeon on the Rhine, which was filled with foul air from a sink. The Knight of Plume next hastened to inform the Emperor of how his safe conduct had been violated. The Emperor expressed indignation, and ordered Huss to be set free, and threatened to break open the prison doors if it was not done. He was not yet come to Constance, but when he came he did nothing. It is doubtful whether the emperor was sincere in the expression of his intention, but it is recorded that some of the council waited upon him, and begged him not to interfere in matters relating to heresy. As that was their province, and this may have weighed with him. Huss remained a prisoner. The unhealthy position of his cell brought on a dangerous illness. The Pope sent to him his own physician, for, as one has said, 
it was not desired that B should die a natural death. Through the intercession of his friends he was shifted to a more airy room in the same convent. After Huss had left Prague for Constance, a movement had taken place to show that it was right for Christians to take the wine as well as the bread at the Lord's Supper. In the Church of Rome only the bread is given, because they say, the body and blood of Christ are both present in the bread. They wrote from Prague to ask the judgment of Huss. He referred to the scripture, and there it was plain enough that Christians partook of both, and now, though a prisoner, he did not hesitate to say what he had found. They commenced to give the people the bread and the wine. Afterwards this was one of the charges brought against Huss. Various propositions were made to Huss as to his case, but nothing was yet really settled, when on March 21, 1415, the council was thrown into confusion by the flight of Pope John. He doubtless foresaw that he, with the other popes, would be deposed, and to save this he fled from the place. But with him also went the attendants of Huss, who was now left destitute, yet a prisoner. His friends again pressed on the emperor for his release, but his enemies prevailed, and he was now imprisoned in the castle of Gotelben, and chained night and day. At length, through the intercession of the friends of Huss, he was promised a hearing in the council. He was also brought from the castle to a Franciscan convent at Constance, and by a singular retribution the next prisoner in that castle at Gotelben was the man who had been Pope John XXIII in whose name Huss had been first imprisoned, now deposed, and simply called Balthazar Cossa, who had been caught and was now a prisoner. A long list of charges was made out against Huss. The first article was read. Huss acknowledged it, and began to defend it from scripture. But they said, all that was nothing to the point. Again he began, but they interrupted him continually, until he saw it was no use, and was silent. The more just part of the council were ashamed, and it broke up in confusion. On the 7th of June he appeared again, the emperor being now present. The second point was that Huss denied transubstantiation. This he denied. He had his own way of explaining it, but as yet he believed in the real presence of the body and blood of Christ in the bread and wine. Then many other subjects followed with long discussions. At length the emperor told Huss that he had better submit to the council, and he promised that they would deal with him in a lenient manner, and he should be let off with a slight penance and satisfaction. If not, they would know what to do with him. The emperor would not undertake to protect his errors, he would sooner prepare the faggots for him with his own hands. On the 8th of June Huss was again brought up, and other charges read to him, to which he answered fully. Then again he was advised by the council and the emperor to submit to the council, and recant. After he left, the council settled that if he recanted he was to be a prisoner for life, and efforts were made to get him to recant. A form was drawn up and submitted to him, but he could not sign it. Then various members of the council visited him and begged him to recant and to submit to the council. One said that he ought to do this if even the council was wrong. The Knight of Tomb begged Huss to confess to any error if he knew of any, but he exhorted him to suffer any punishment sooner than deny the truth. Huss was moved, and replied, weeping, I call God the Almighty, as I have often done, to witness that from my heart I am ready whenever the council teaches me anything better by testimonies from Holy Scripture to change my opinion at once, and to confess publicly under oath, that I was previously in error. This they called obstinately clinging to his errors. So far was it from their thoughts that anything should be proved by scripture only. Huss was now condemned to death, to the lasting disgrace of the emperor, who had given him a safe conduct. He must first be degraded. He was dressed as a priest. His dress was taken piece by piece with a denunciation at each. A chalice was placed in his hand which was then taken from him with the words, We take from thee, condemn Judas, the cup of salvation. To this he replied, But I trust in God my Father, the Almighty, and my Lord Jesus Christ, for whose name I bear this, that he will not take from me the cup of his salvation. 
and I have a firm hope that I shall yet drink of it today in his kingdom. A cap, painted over with devils, was then placed on his head, with the words, Arch heretic. Then they said, Now we give over thy soul to the devil. But I, said Huss, raising his eyes to heaven, commend into thy hands, Jesus Christ, my soul, by thee redeemed. He was led to the place of execution July 6, 1415, and there bound to the stake, and chained to it by the neck. Just before the pile of faggots was lit, the marshal of the empire rode up and again called upon him to recant. He could not. The chief aim of my preaching, said he, was to teach men repentance and the forgiveness of sins according to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the expositions of the Holy Fathers. Therefore I am prepared to die with a joyful soul. The faggots were lit, which blazing up soon stifled him, as he called on Jesus Christ, Son of the living God. The ashes of his body were thrown into the Rhine, that nothing might remain to pollute the earth. Thus died this honoured servant of the Lord. He was not clear on some points, and in doctrine he did not think it possible for anyone to know if he was saved, but in fact he seemed to have no doubts about his own salvation. Rome had triumphed in putting him to death, as they thought, but it was he who really had triumphed, and had resisted all their seduction, and had died for the truth. The result of his teaching exists to this day. Though they burnt the man, they could not uproot the seed he had sown, and it brought forth fruit, notwithstanding all the powers of Rome to uproot it and stamp it out. The reason is, that it was of God, and by God, and for God, and when he works none can hinder.